Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Walton Spiel, hanging out with producer, co-host extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, he is a repeat offender, Matt Matt Van Italy. He's from SEMA. Uh, We're going to be talking you know, guess what? AI, it's crazy. It's taken over the world. But no, Matt, uh, Matt's been around. His company's been around since 2017. They do, they used to do, uh, you still do, um, code reviews, CTO dashboards, um, evaluating third-party dev shops. He's a, he's a wealth of knowledge and he's fantastic on the microphone. So this should be a great show. Find us online, it in the D.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the social subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. Don't forget meetup.com slash ITND. March 21st, we're going to be at the Eastern Palace Club. Big old tiki bar with fantastic barbecue and good drinks. Come on out, hang out. No cover, no speakers. Just a bunch of IT folks doing what we do, which is don't hand out business cards and talk about stupid stuff. All right. I know, right? That's what we do. Um, speaking of stupid stuff, um, I know uh, I talked about you guys before the show, but the movie Blackberry, if you have not seen it, run, run to, I forget what it's streaming on, but it's free. It's not free because you're paying for monthly streaming bills, but it's literally fantastic. It took me almost 20 minutes to figure out the lead. One of the leads in the movie was in It's Always Sunny. He shaved his head like a uh, bald 80s like lawyer look. Um, but literally, if you're into anything startup culture, geek, coding, business dealings, getting MVPs out the door, it, it hits everything. It's a fantastic film. Um, and uh, I'm shocked that it's uh, that the company went away. I used to have one, the one with the trackball, Randy. Do you remember that one? That was, uh, I had that one. I did also have a trackball one. I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was goofy because like you didn't really click on much. It only had like mail and internet. There's only like four things and like a stupid game or something. Um, but that was a fantastic, but then like the way the, you know, as that's rolled out and that's got like 40% market share, they roll out their, what's supposed to be the iPhone killer, which turned out to be the biggest piece of garbage. And then I guess Verizon sued them so much because of damages took the, basically took the company under It's still to this day. My favorite headline in any newspaper in the history of humanity was, uh, I know it's sad that people get laid off, but it was, you know, 6,000 rim jobs lost in Canada. Um, we don't, we still don't, I think they're still floating over Saskatchewan somewhere. Um, <laughs> but that was a uh, rainy, wasn't it? I don't, you're not going to answer because you're on mute. Um, but like, wasn't it, was there, was their job site rim.jobs? I, I swear to God, I think it was. Yeah. And Randy's nodding. So uh, it's got no microphone. I don't know what the hell he did. He unplugged it. Did you plug it back and plug it in? And that's what we learned. Uh, that's what we learned. Uh, Have you tried turning on and off your computer? <laughs> exactly. We can't make fun of Randy. Who can we make fun of? But we're not going to make fun of Matt because he's our guest. Matt, how you doing? Um, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. I just I need to make fun of you real quick. Um, you reached out to go be on the show, and I I talked to you like I've never talked to you before. And uh, as I'm getting through this conversation, I'm like, God, that name looks familiar because how many people are named Van? In, you know, Italy, and. Uh, we, I look up that you were on the show two years ago, and I'm like, I hate myself for not having the memory of, uh, you know. Um, but uh, I am always interested in hearing interesting people, and your story is super interesting. I was glad to hear it again. No, I'm, I know as I'm introducing myself. So I grew up in, you know. No. <laughs> but uh, Matt founded SEMA Software. We're just gonna we're gonna get into the good stuff because it's like we, we were talking about. It's been the topic of conversation for about the past. 
two months at least, um, talking about the good world of AI. Um, I'll tell you what I'm seeing if you tell me what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah, please. No, I mean, at the end of the day, my favorite thing summed up is we're sitting in front of a pretty large automotive company and we're talking Gen AI and they look at us straight in the face and say, you're going to be like the last 12 companies that sat in front of me. You're going to say, hey, here's some great stuff. Oh, by the way, you need to buy this. Your foundation's broken. Oh, you need to secure that. Oh, your data quality is crap. Um, and then you're going to try to sell me six, seven tools to fix that. And then we're going to come back to the good stuff is talking about this. Um, and I think that's the way of the world right now. It's it's very difficult to deploy something right now, unless it's a very, very limited environment and very, very secure and very um, clean data. So I don't know what, what's uh, what's going on on your side of the world. Yeah, well, we we have that really good fortune, the, the privilege to work with and talk to organizations at extremely different um, uh, levels of scale. Uh, and uh, we're absolutely hearing the same thing um, for the largest organizations that whether it's um, the security risks or the change management uh, or the compliance risks, which we can talk about uh, as well, uh, there's some meaningful and, and appropriate trepidation about rolling out AI at scale, uh, a sense that it is coming. Um, and we predict it, in the next 12 months, it will be uh, at scale, uh, even in the most uh, risk-sensitive uh, enterprise organizations. Uh, but there's an awful lot of work to do at, at that scale to get it right. And then on the other side, there are um, uh, startups, uh, there are earlier stage companies who've jumped in, um, who have less of the, you know, are, are more able to be risk tolerant and are achieving some incredible things uh, through the power uh, of AI and really showing what's possible um, in terms of quality and speed and disruption, um, uh, which I think both you know it's going to be an interesting time uh, for the for the medium and large enterprises as they as they adopt and frankly as they react to uh, some of these um, uh, startups. We seem to forget that this thing's only uh, how old? It's barely what four months old um, from when uh, am I? I'm right, right? Like last November when when ChatGPT hit, and then now we're expecting it to be this glory. Like no no misspellings, everything perfect. It's amazing our tolerance or lack of it for technology. Like I remember, uh, there's an old Louis C.K. bit when he's you know Wi-Fi on the airplane for the for very first time, and it goes down, and the guy to the left goes, "You know, this is bullshit." He goes, "It didn't even exist yesterday, and you're already complaining about it." But I feel like this is the same thing. Like everyone's rushing and going to Copilot and and making the little pictures. Um, but you know, for the most part, the the hallucin it, it still looks weird if you watch the writing. Like that, what? When do you think that's gonna? Is it gonna get cleaned up anytime soon, or is this just gonna work itself out? And as date, because data is never gonna get better. It's always gonna get worse because we're always putting more into it. What? 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 You know, what do you see? Yeah, well, we're we're pretty um, bullish on the need for humans to be in the loop for the foreseeable future. And I know the world is changing and I know AI can make AI better and all of that. Uh, but in the real world, the risks of getting it wrong uh, are so significant that there is a fundamental place uh, 
for humans, uh, as far as we can see, as far as the eye can see, um, to ask the right questions, to put in the right data, to sanity check the results, to triple check what's what's going to be customer facing or user facing. Um, I do think, yeah, the the what the law of rising expectations. Um, I grew up without air conditioning, and now I couldn't go a night night right. without it. Um, exactly. uh, couldn't couldn't change. Um, uh, but. But it will still, it is, has, and it will continue to, uh, it, the, the AI tools will continue to get better. We just, the human mind is a wondrous thing. We'll be able to pick out variants and things that, that don't look right. And I don't, I don't think we'll ever get over that feeling of this isn't quite as right as it should be, even though the AI tools themselves are getting better and better. Well, they keep talking about AI is not coming for your jobs. They're coming to work with alongside you, right? And I get that wholeheartedly. It almost, I don't want to say it's good. It feels like it's more work on certain applications or certain case use cases, but it almost feels like, cause you need to have somebody to look at every, like check everything. Um, is that almost just like a, a code tool, but it's for writing? Like what, um, am I, you know, it's almost what it feels like. Yeah, it, it varies. Uh, my, our opinion on it is it varies by, by the use case, you know, I as a, I as a writer, uh, when I'm writing white papers, there is no question that I am a faster researcher. Absolutely no question. I do it five times faster um, because um, I still have to review the materials, but they're presented to me. Um, I use perplexity when I'm doing that, so I can see all the sources. I, I am absolutely a faster, uh, a faster writer because the research step. Uh, is much is much faster than otherwise would be. On coding, um, you know, I we view it very similar to open source. Um, it's not as far adopted as open source, but open source is code that was written by somebody else outside the organization. Uh, it makes the team way more productive in the sense that if you were doing it by hand instead of using either open source or AI, you would, um, you know, you'd be bananas not to be using open source in 2024. Um, companies could have a good reason in February 2024 not to be using uh, Gen AI and the SDLC, but there's a year left before it will be as bananas um, uh, to not do that. But then it comes with risk. You have to do code reviews. You have to make sure it's accurate, uh, secure, et cetera. It's still a net positive done right. I'm choosing my words carefully. I mean, you can certainly, just like with copying Stack Overflow, just like with copying uh, open source, Sometimes there's a better answer if you just stop and think and uh, apply your knowledge. Um, and so it's not a, what, spread like peanut butter, um, use it in every situation. Uh, but there are many, many uh, situations, and the number is growing, where the result really is, um, is additive to the developer's work. It's fantastic. I was going to say phenomenal or fantastic. I was trying to pick one. Phenomenal, fantastic analogy with uh, open source and Gen AI. It makes total sense because, yeah, when o when open source came out, there's no way you're deploying that in your uh, corporate environment. There's no way today. It's almost it, it's the opposite where it's like, oh my god, you're not, you know. Um, but no, yeah, fantastic analogy. Interesting that uh, I was looking at some of your bio stuff and it it clicked with the conversation we were having today at work, and the word was uh, innovation. And we used to have a, back in the day, I'm talking like six, seven years ago, we used to have a CIO that used to come on the show all the time. 
loved talking about innovation, never said anything. And we started talking about this and it reminded me of conversations I had 20 years ago at Hewlett Packard where the services rep would get up in front of the crowd and say, you know, 80% is going to break fix, 20% is going to innovation in your corporate network. And um, we're, we were going like, well, what is it today? Is it still? Because now you don't have, you know, the people in the sock aren't looking at raw logs because you have machine learning. You know, you're not really looking at uh, anything from a raw log standpoint. Like what, what do you think that we couldn't come up with a number because we think it's roughly the same anyway, like in terms of what percent of your IT staff budget is going towards break fix and what part is going towards innovation? We, we couldn't come up with it yet. I wonder what you thought. Yeah. Um, it's a really good question. Um, we can think of activities that are going away because they've been automated, whether they're automated with AI or not. And we can think about activities that are now being added back, whether it's the AI pipeline or other parts of uh, you know, SDLC, which is you know, the area that, that, um, that we know the best. Um, I do think it would be hard to quantify, but there's certainly, and again, especially in the coding world and the, in the writing world, maybe less in other, uh, other sub areas of IT, there's so much more possibility for experimentation. And I'd say with data processing as well, data processing, uh, human writing, and then um, coding writing, the, the ability to instantly prototype uh, I, I think about this, um, I'm sure you've seen Inception, where the world builders can just think and then this whole world gets created instantly. Um, that world may not be right, uh, there may be errors in it, but it gives you the instant ability to to play out certain schools of thought. Uh, and I think that's true whether it's quantitative data, whether it's, um, whether it's writing, um, and, or whether it's code. And so I do think I would be very confident that organizations who have rolled out AI tools and I guess rolled rolled them out the right way, the quantity of innovation is increasing, even if they're doing it for the same amount of time, because the degree to experiment, um, you know, amount of experimentation per minute is now astronomical. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. See now what's, what's sticking out in my mind is like, let's say you're a a organization of 10,000 people. And you just rolled out automated password resets. And that was used to be done manually. You have to call the help desk. Then you have to open up a ticket. And then the person would have to respond to the ticket a certain amount of time. And then they, you know, then they reset your password for you. Now that person's been freed up because you put out an automated process. But are they innovating now? Or are they just doing something else that is now considered a mundane task, right? Um, innovate, like to me, like ever since that, ever since that CEO came on the podcast and talked about it, it's been not driving me nuts, but I'm trying to figure it out. Like there's only, I think there's only so many people. There's only, only so many brain. There's only so much brain power in an organization that can truly innovate. And at the end of the day, there's someone else that's got to reset passwords. Um, But you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to argue about after hours, you know, in the basement bar at your, you know, at your office. Um, I just, you know, I, I figured you'd be a good person to spring this on because, you know, it, it, it's a yeah. passion of yours. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, uh, I don't know how controversial this is, but I certainly have a strong point of view. Um, I like to think about 
are we doing the same thing or are we doing it better? And better could be quality, could be speed, it could be cheaper. Um, innovation is about delivering better things than they are today. And I, I know I'm speaking slowly, but I, I, I feel very strongly about this. Uh, you can think about strategic innovation and you can think about operational innovation. And to me, the big difference between strategy and operational, uh, strategic and operational is just the size of the change. Uh, and, you know, roughly speaking, a strategic, uh, a strategic innovation could lead to a 10 to 100x change in the organization, 100x revenue growth, 100x um, uh, cost savings, uh, you know, 10 to 100x, whereas operational innovation makes things 2 to 5x better, um, sometimes even 10% better if it's already a pretty well um, uh, a pretty well optimized um, system. In that world, uh, there isn't a lot of room for strategic innovation. Uh, an organization can only make a couple big bets a year, sometimes one big bet a year, or you know, NVIDIA made one big bet uh, you know, over five years and it paid off massively. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally would be worried about people being tasked to come up with, lots of people being tasked to, uh, to come up with strategic innovation, because I think it's super annoying to be asked to work on something that you, that's very likely not to work. Um, I don't like wasting people's time. I don't like it when people have wasted my time. But operational innovation, could we make something, a not optimized system, two to five X better? Could we make an optimized system 10% better? Literally, every, almost everything we do in an organization is um, there is the possibility for that. Almost everything. And so the trick for an organization is to get over itself and not be too political and find ways to encourage people to be thinking of that and to be running small pilots um, and find those kinds of uh, opportunities for innovation uh, and really being open to it while still recognizing that we all have work to do. So it can't be 100% people brainstorming all day, uh, but finding that balance. We do care about organizational outcomes, so we have to get work done today, but we need to take a break and um, a mental break and think about why am I even doing this? And would there be a better way to do it? And I, I truly do believe everybody can and should be involved with that. And it ties back to the movie Blackberry, right? I, I'll, I'll never, there's some of these scenes stick out to me as like stuff that's happened in my life and my career. Cause like the guy sitting in front of the executive at a, at a major uh, telephone carrier. And he's like, you know, we want to sell minutes and text, text costs 10 cents. And then he goes to the user and he's like, well, we hate paying 10 cents for text, but I love texting. So that's when he created the, you know, texting for free. So he goes, all right, how about if your users can all, you know, all you can eat texting only from your network and we'll give you exclusive rights. All of a sudden it goes nuts. Well, it's a network burden. So now they can only allow So here now you have the business side that wants to push more phones, the, the, the geek side saying, stop selling new phones because the networks are full. And they can't, they had to stop pushing, innovate, innovating. And then all of a sudden they're resting they're, you know, and Steve jobs comes out and, you know, builds the iPhone and the rest is, we know is all history, but agreed though. Um, you get too many cooks in that kitchen, but you know, again, that was, 
it, it, a little bit of, it, it almost was like a, a, you know, there was like eight cooks in that kitchen, which is perfect, which is fine. I think if it gets thousands and thousands and it's a, you know, a little bit of different of an animal, um, wanted to get with you on, you know, remote workforce was all the rage in the 2019s and <laughs> 2020s. And we got now, now it's, you're starting to see your GMs of the world, your Silicon Valley's of the world saying, I want you in the office three days a week. And you're getting workers going, I don't want to. Um, we got really comfy in our, in our, you know, being able to pick our, you know, walk our dog and pick our kid up and not have to interrupt. You know, the, 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 our lifestyle has changed. I don't know. I can't think of us being less productive than we were in 2018 being in the office. Uh, what, you know, I'd love to get your take on kind of the, the, where we are with, um, you know, and I miss being in the office, but I, but I don't like today, for example, I got kicked out of three offices. You know, I get, I didn't get shush today. I usually get shush cause I'm the loud, you know, I'm on a call and, um, but it's always, it's fantastic seeing people. Like I, I have tried to have as many face to faces as humanly possible. What, you know, what, on your side of the world, you know, obviously you're, you're, what are you seeing in your, in terms of workforce, uh, remote workforce these days? Yeah. So I'm certainly biased, um, from our, from our lived experience at, at SEMA, where we've been remote only since, uh, since 2019. And, uh, I am so grateful to work with, uh, some incredible humans, um, uh, across engineering and product and delivery, uh, who I never would have met, uh, had we only been working in one geographic region. And so, uh, I'm very conscious of, um, uh, of the upside um, for, in our case, the ability to tap a global talent pool for amazing, amazing humans. I'm also conscious of just how maniacally focused we are on getting culture right and uh, within that values and communication. Um, I know everybody loves talking about them, but done right, values are the DNA of an organization, there's a cheat sheet of how should you operate if you're working on your own and you need some guidance. And if you can get everybody aligned on a set of values, uh, they can be working productively together even if they're miles apart. Um, um, it's my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite poems from Robert Frost. Um, it's, it's gendered, but I, uh, it works better for the cadence. Men work together, I told him from the heart, whether we work together or apart. Oh, I just get goosebumps. But you got to work at it. You got to work at the values and you, uh, you got to work at communication norms um, to really make sure that people are understand each other's com communication preferences and know when they're responding to them and when they are not um, uh, responding to them, uh, when they're following someone's communication preferences, which is going to add to their energy or when they're taking, when they're uh, not following them. Uh, and it's, you might have to do it, but it's going to take away energy. I do completely get uh, and appreciate the value of being in person, um, the spontaneous conversations, the energy for extroverts like like me, I bet like like you as well. And I also understand that large organizations are facing uh, a, a lack of productivity or apparent lack of productivity uh, by having folks come come back to the office. Um, I hope it's not. I hope it's distinguishable from the sunk cost of having office buildings, because uh, those are two very different things. If you, if the organization can be successful, given that you really should look beyond the fact that you made an investment in office space, um, 
I think if I were uh, if I were counseling an organization that um, was uh, fully remote and was thinking about um, uh, was thinking about uh, bringing folks back to the office, I would be I'd really counsel very specific expectation, uh, very specific experiments about the expectations of what would happen. What do we think that's actually going to be different? Uh, are there outcomes that we don't see today that we can't just tackle a little bit more directly before we jump we jump to that and i guess i've just heard you know horror stories about working parents um and the you know the workload it's not fair but the home workload uh f frequently falls on the side of uh, of women in households again not always the case and it's it's, it's not fair uh, but switching work from home policies um switching them multiple times is really burdensome so I, i'd encourage organizations, if they're going to do it, to be really precise about what they'd like to see, really ask themselves, is there another way to achieve it? And then be incredibly consistent. Um, very, very, very few changes uh, because it it really makes a difference uh, to, to people to try to adjust their lives around it. I'll be honest. I miss just calling someone. Like I know maybe I'm a okay uh, Gen X or whatever, you know, I'm not a boomer, um, Randy. <laughs> um, but I just miss calling, just picking up the phone. Now I have to go on Teams or I have to like, oh, just check on my calendar. Like, are you free for five today? And like it's you know, it's like setting up play dates all day. And um that I, I don't know how many people are in my boat with that, but like that if we could bring anything back, that would be it. But like if you look at Worker productivity, and I'm going to jump into your world, um, which is software dev, and you have a project, you you have a loose due date because it's you know software. You're you're running in two week sprints or or something similar to that. Um, you have someone that's the you know BA lead, the project lead, QA, like you have everybody working in unison. Maybe you're working in a mural board to to build a you know or can't. Uh, so I'm going to get killed for the Kanban board. I don't care how you pronounce it. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Um, I can't see how you would, you know, and you have a task and, and you complete it. Like, again, just because I didn't, you know, talk to you about the tigers at the, at the water cooler doesn't mean I didn't do anything in, because I walked my dog instead of using that time. I don't think I was any less productive. Um, yeah. And I, another advantage of remote and uh, shout out to my, my colleague, Mark, is that it empowers people to it empowers people to waste less time. Um, I'm the CEO of the company, and I have to argue for why our engineers should get on a call with me. Um, and it's not good enough because I want to talk to them and I want to uh, I want to chat. They know that time meeting is time not working, and mm -hmm. so they have set a bar uh, that has to be passed for the the sensibleness of the meeting and the attendees of the meeting. And I just think it makes it a lot easier, makes it a lot easier for people to stand up for, let's just do the productive things and skip the non-productive things. Um, and so that, that is another, another reason, um, another reason I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, uh, it, it's more worker empowering. And I, I think with, as long as colleagues know the, know the goals we're working towards and the outcomes and the methods we're, we, we think will be most likely to achieve those outcomes, um, remote empowers them more uh, to be a greater contributor to that. 
We're in a, we're in an interesting situation because this is something I've been dealing with since I literally started in this business. Was you have you know sales needs to, you have engineering building a product or or fulfilling a product. You have sales needs to drive, and if sales isn't forecasting properly, you can't uh, can't staff a prop appropriately or you can't build appropriately and it's this road it's this never-ending cycle of hurry up and sell something or oh shit we sold too much stuff and it, it, it's the, it'll, it's the never-ending cycle it was like that when i was selling routers at cisco it was like that when we were selling SaaS. you know it, it's um it's this bizarre never you know and, and that's the one thing like the, the good ones figure out they get business and they get sales and tech m- you know merged and the bad ones just don't they don't figure it out well said. Well said. Um, so te- so this one's this one's close to my heart, so I'm dying to hear your take on it. But teaching executive communication. Um let me so let me uh, let me start with this. I took a when I was at Cisco, I took a class. It was a week-long class taught by the person that taught John Chambers how to speak on stage. And uh I don't like to use the word master class loosely, but it was a master class on getting me to learn how to speak properly and appropriately and understanding crutch phrases and words I was saying and jingling my keys when I was in front of a room and talking too fast and um, came out of it. You know, I still say ums and ahs. I still speak like a normal human being, um, not polished. I'm just, I'm dying to get your take and I'm going to wind the top up and let you go. But like teaching executive communication, is it, where like where do you start and where do you stop and, and and it's a lifelong journey in my opinion but i'm just curious to get your take yeah and um i may veer ever so slightly into management consulting world so if i ever go too far in you can just put the klaxon bell and all we'll good, all good we'll move we'll move back um so i don't distinguish in this between uh, talking on stage um, or talking to a person and writing Obviously, public speaking is very hard and is a thing of itself, and for most people, you know, one of the worst fears. Um, but this is just about whether it's emails or presentations or, or, or talking to others. Um, I have really simplified it o- over the years that I've, I've tried to teach people this. Basically, um, there's two groups of people. Uh, there are people who love structure. That can be taxonomies. That can be lists. Uh, that can be, uh, you know, a work plan. And there's people who are neutral about structure. Um, uh, very few people hate it, um, at least at work. Very few people hate it. So you have a group that loves structure and a group that's, um, that's, that's neutral about it. If you structure, if you communicate with an eye towards the people who love structure, then, um, you're making them happy and you're not alienating the people who don't mind structure. If you are unstructured in your communication, the people who don't care that much about structure don't mind, but it is so stressful uh, for folks who, um, who really like to know where you're going. And so, uh, and uh, maybe, and the link, the leap is a disproportionate number of executives are people who really like structure. Uh, and so, um, liking, um, communicating like an executive and communicating to executives is, um, is really about structuring, structuring your communication, uh, so that they understand 
where you're going and what your points are. Um, I like to think of it like giving someone the table of contents, giving someone a book. You read a title, that's one sentence. You then read the chapter headings, that's whatever, 10, sen 10 sentences, it was a 10 chapter book. Um, and you give that high level detail before you go into any of the, the detail below it. And that lets um, structure loving people not get agitated about where are we going in this conversation without without getting in the way of um, uh, without getting in the way of still making great points, still going into detail when it's necessary. The other thing that um, uh, besides being structured, that I think folks who are new to communicating with executives um, uh, or newer in the workforce in general is thinking about um, thinking about the time you are talking, the time that someone is listening to you or the time that someone is reading what you've written as having a cost. It's not free to, um, to spend time um, reading or listening to someone. Now, that doesn't mean the communication isn't really important. It is really important. But if you can get your point across in um, one sentence uh, as opposed to a paragraph or a five minutes um, or five minutes and the person understands and can act, um, you have given back time. Um, you've spent less of relatively expensive time um, with colleagues. And again, executives are frequently disproportionately busy or at least perceive themselves to be disproportionately busy. So thinking about, um, you know, it's like bandwidth days when you actually had to manage how much, you, you know, how much, um, what, what you were going to download and how much it was going to cost. If you actually treat your colleagues like, well, let me do some more work. Let me process this down. Let me get to the gist faster for my, for my audience. You should. I recommend doing that for everybody. It's not just that you should manage up that way, but it happens to be particularly useful for folks who are busy or perceive themselves to be very busy. See, Matt, that the the my at least from my side of the world, I would you see two things, three things that that immediately like someone that's verbose, someone with a giant ego, and you you try to tell them like, no, speak in Twitter, not in Word, and and they're like, well, no, I need to get my point across. But then you have the users going, I'm not reading this. Are you like, and they skim it and they don't get the message. Um, how do you get around that? Uh, it definitely depends on the relationship to the person you're giving feedback to, uh, sure. of course. Yeah. Um, um, and I, much easier for me to say to you, because um, uh, you're such a thoughtful and open-minded person, hard to do in real life. Um, but it. Sometimes I found it uh, found it effective to lead with curiosity. Um, what is your goal from this next court conversation with this person? What do you hope to get out of it? You verbose, big ego person. Okay, this is um, <laughs> implicitly. Um, okay, that's your goal. Let's have the conversation. Let's see. Do you think you achieved it? Um, do you think there's other? How did you respond when this? You know, what was your reaction when this person did this or that? Do you think a different approach um, might help you? And you, I can't. You, can we curse on this or can we not curse on this? Of course, podcast. Okay, you can't bullshit uh, your way through fake curiosity. If you're not curious, don't try it because it's freaking the worst. 
only ask questions where you genuinely know the when you genuinely don't know the answer because people can see through it forever. So it's not, Bob. I really wonder if maybe you were more X, it would work. Like, and you already know the answer is X. If you're thinking that, just freaking say it uh, and let the person react to it or not. But if you the if you the person who wants to give advice to a peer or to someone or uh, someone up the chain, and you can genuinely come with with curiosity. I wonder, what are you trying to achieve? Did that work? Do you think a different way could work better? Um, I think it's it's disarming. Um, and it's disarming, and it, it maximizes the likelihood that you as the person coaching um, can be heard by the coachee. Got it. No, it makes sense. I think, and again, that's lifelong learning. This isn't something that you're just going to go walk in and go, here's, here's the magic pill. And you're going to go, Oh yeah. You know, there's, there's somebody I've been mentoring, um, you know, below the age of 30. There's, you know, it's very rare these days in it. I don't know where we're like, we had that talk the other day. Where are the kids? Where are the Like, where's the next generation? Like, it seems like everyone I'm working with is my peer group and very out. Like you have to have like a super dynamo, um, that coming up that like gets it. Um, it's very, it's very rare. And that's another topic for another conversation for another day. Um, but again, this is, this is a lifelong learning. I've been working with him on, you know, pacing and, you know, don't, you know, cause you want to get all the information out in front of as many people as long fast as you can. Cause, Oh my God, that, you know, I've been studying all night and yeah, instead like, you know, and, and you came out of the management consulting world, the, the spreadsheet or the PowerPoint slides are like, you know, eye charts. It's like, you know, I learned a long time ago, like if, you know, they're reading all of it and they're not listening to you talk. So like put as many words on there as you want them to read, give them a couple seconds, you know, it's, it's, it's an art, it's a thing. So Matt, um, we could talk to you all night, but, uh, for the, you know, Randy's giving me the, the death stare. I'm just kidding. He's not. Um, but we're going to, we're going to cut you loose. We can find you at, uh, we're going to put a post all, everywhere to find you on LinkedIn online uh, in the show notes. Can't thank you enough for your time and insight. This is, uh, it's always great. Great to talk to you again. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. We definitely welcome back. Uh, we'd love to have you back. So, uh, Mad Man Italy, SEMA, uh, find all the notes and uh, find all his links and notes. And uh, we're going to wrap things up for this edition of the IT and the D show. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.